0: Well, after a break for the holidays in our morning service sermon series, uh, from our morning service series, we are back in 2 Timothy. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Our focus will be on verses 3 to 9. We'll begin reading in verse 1. children here are your questions for this morning first what three groups of people does paul use as examples in our passage two what is something that they all need to have in order to be successful three do you have a hobby or talent that you are working hard to get better at for how can you make sure you are strengthening your faith and service to the lord and five, Paul worked hard as a preacher of God's word, but he landed in jail. Though they had him bound in chains, what does he say about the word of God? 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ, Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. There the in of God's word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercies towards us. So many, too many to recount. But Lord, one of your great kindnesses to us is giving us your word so that we might read, hear, see, and believe. Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we've just read your word. Now as we turn to the preaching of your word, we continue to ask for help. Please send your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding. Help the preacher to preach with clarity. Lord, help all of us to hear, to hear well, and to respond appropriately. We come to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Things are getting tougher for the Christian church back in the days of Paul and Timothy. Nero is making... very difficult for the church, increasing pressure day by day. Paul is very concerned that Timothy, the young leader in the church at Ephesus, is going to be strong, prepared to face afflictions associated with serving the Lord. Paul himself is already in prison, writing from prison, and when he writes to Timothy, he speaks from experience. He knows that Timothy, as he needed himself, needed to be strong in grace, needed the strength of the Lord. He needed to be fervent in his pursuit of what he was called to do, especially in light of the fact that things aren't getting better for Christians in that day. But his message to Timothy is not brace yourself when that happens. His message to Timothy is prepare for conflict be ready to endure, endure now, and then be ready to labor in the calling that you've been given. Now he does address suffering here, he'll address suffering further, and so I plan to address the issue of Christian suffering, which is a part of being a Christian at some point in a different message. Today, the message isn't so much on the suffering itself, but it has to do with the training to make sure that we're ready for suffering. Specifically ready for battle, ready for game day, ready to continue patiently in the labors God has given to us. That's the focus. It's how to prepare, how to be readily prepared to live the Christian life effectively. And in Timothy's case, how to serve the Lord in the capacity of a leader in the church effectively. Timothy's responsible to guard the gospel. He's also responsible to make sure that the gospel goes out so that people can hear and believe. He's also responsible to train men in order to do that very thing. And it will be a struggle. It will be a fight. But the principles laid down here for Christian strengthening and perseverance and patience apply to every Christian. It's not just for leaders in the church. I would put it this way. In order to be effective for the kingdom of God and the callings that we're called to do, we need grace and we need grit. The first verse that I read says you my children be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus we need to recognize that there's no hope for us if we don't have strength from the grace of the Lord Jesus but that doesn't ever mean for a Christian that we can sit back and just relax rest on our laurels we do that for our salvation but for our pursuit of the Christian life it requires grit it requires work Again, to use Paul's illustrations, it's for a day of battle. It's for game day. It's to look to the harvest that will take dedication and work. Now, you could come up with other illustrations. If any of you have ever worked hard to become good at something, you know that it takes effort. It takes training. It takes practice, whatever it might be. Well, here is the context of growing in Christ, being strong in Christ and serving Christ. And the idea is that we need to prepare and train for that. And that's the main thing here. The main thing in this passage is that it's under Christ. These things aren't pursued for self-promotion or self-improvement. Ultimately, it's for the glory of God. There are certainly things that will benefit our souls, certainly things that will benefit those around us, but but ultimately, our service is for the glory of God. And each of the things that Paul mentions requires requires work, dedication, investment, and sacrifice. Sacrifice. And the illustrations that Paul uses, the occupations that these people are in, that he refers to, were quite different back in those days than they are now, but nonetheless, again, principles apply to us. We need to be unstoppable laborers. That's the part that takes grit. The first one is that we need to be like select soldiers. Just a few things about good soldiers, they need to be focused on the task in front of them. A good soldier, especially when engaged in warfare and battle, cannot fraternize with the enemy. In other words, become too close and embracing with any kind of shared mentality or worldview with the enemy if we apply this to our faith. There can be no cowards, no deserters. There also can't be maniacs. Rogue soldiers rarely do any good for the battle. Soldiers need to be dedicated. They're enlisted and they're commanded. Soldiers serve their country under the authority of another. And if you think about our enlistment, we're enlisted by our commander Christ. That's who we're serving under. Soldiers need to be dedicated. They need to be untangled from things that would keep them from their service. I have a friend who Once said, if the military wanted you to have a spouse, they would have issued you one. The idea is that your focus needs to be on your place in the military. Calvin puts it this way, The condition of military discipline is such that as soon as a soldier has enrolled himself under a general, he leaves his house and all his affairs and thinks of nothing but war. And in like manner, in order that we may be wholly devoted to Christ, we must be free from the entanglements of this world. Now he's not saying that we ever shirk family responsibilities. Don't get it wrong. But we have to keep in perspective that that our ultimate goal is to serve our Lord and Commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Be aware there will be opposition. In warfare, the goal of the enemy is to kill you. And to kill others. And so there's real opposition out there. But, but sometimes a, a lame soldier can be his own worst enemy. Soldiers that don't follow orders, for instance. Or to be good soldiers. I have a quote here from a special ops individual. If you've ever been around or know any elite military personnel, you know that they're intense. And I don't know, honestly, I can't remember where this quote came from. There's no name put on it, and because there's special ops, that probably makes a lot of sense. But this has to do with both the engagement of warfare, but also the training that's necessary for it. And here's the quote. It's a little bit long, but listen. Part of the training was suffering, brutal suffering. And yet all of that was nothing compared to the challenges of combat. Combat, the reason we exist, was infinitely more brutal. In combat, diabolical and determined enemies armed with machine guns, mortars, rockets, improvised explosive devices, and anything else they could imagine did everything in their power to kill us and our fellow Americans. We fought on. And never gave up and we did not falter because we had been brutally trained so when I took over the responsibility for training my my fellow special ops I made sure it was brutal but I did not make it brutal because I was sadistic or heartless no I made the training brutal because I cared about my fellow soldiers more than anything else in the world. I wanted them to be ready. I wanted them to be eminently prepared, mentally and physically, for the most horrible endeavor, war. Now that's super intense. That's an extreme. But I think you can make the application that in order to be engaged in the warfare that we're in, we need to be well trained. There's a reason why in Ephesians, Paul talks about the full armor of God for the battle. So the first one is select soldiers. The second one is qualified athletes. Qualified athletes trained to succeed, trained to win. Paul here says in verse 5 that they have to compete according to the rules. If you break the rules, and that seems to be one of the secret things that sports people like to do, If you break the rules and you get caught, then you're disqualified. But if you're going to be good at any kind of athletics, you need to train. One of the things I thought about here is that Paul is not one of those out-of-shape coaches that stands on the sideline and doesn't have the wind or strength to do the stuff himself anymore. Sometimes I'll see that and I'll think, no offense to anybody, but how can that guy be coaching these guys or these girls to work so hard when it's obviously they had given up on it themselves quite a while ago. Paul, Paul is fervent, continues to be zealous, continues to train himself, even at this point in prison, wanting to do the best he can as the servant of God, continuing to strive. Now the Athletes here are Olympic athletes. But whatever whatever it is, if we're serious about our sports, vigorous training is involved just like any other skill. Now I know here we have swimmers that train hard. We have basketball players that play hard. We have baseball players that play hard. We have golfers that strive to be better golfers. You probably didn't know that I'm a golfer. When I tee off, every time I shoot for a hole in one. And if I can get the ball past the revolving door on that little barn and then past the clown and then through the waterfall and then finally into into the windmill, I've accomplished something. But seriously, when I tried to learn serious golf, which I have tried just kind of for the fun of it, I've golfed I think maybe all of five times in my life, it became very clear very quickly that in order to be any good at golf, you have to work at it, you have to train. And that's the truth about any good athletes. They have to train. They have to be dedicated. They have to have the mentality to win. Good athletes need dedication. They need to face opposition. I think the first opposition that any athlete really faces is their own weakness. Their own laziness, if they have any of that. Maybe being discouraged because they failed once or twice. They're not where they need to be or they fear the competition. There's there's opposition in even athletics. There are bad examples of athletes. Those who aren't team players are very bad if they're on a team. There are those who don't really care if they win or lose. Certainly a good athlete cares if he wins. He wants to win. We have a friend who once used to like to say, if your mentality is it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, I don't want you on my team. But an athlete wants to win. They look for that end result, that prize for themselves or for their team. I couldn't help but think of Olympiads who who are out there, and some of them are striving to win the gold themselves, but they always represent their country. Think about how we represent the kingdom of God. And So we have our select soldiers, our qualified athletes, and then industrious Farmers. The first two are a little more compelling. Go out and be a good warrior. Go out and be a good soldier. Go out and play well. Go for it. But rarely do you hear go out and be, go out and be an amazing, mighty farmer. But make no mistake, farming, whether it's big farming or small-time farming, it takes discipline, it takes hard work. It takes sacrifice. If you've done even a little of it, you know that. If you want a good crop, if you want to harvest at all. But it takes work. Looking for that end result. You have to labor. You have to till the ground. You have to plant the plants. You have to water the plants. You have to weed the garden. You have to water the plants. You have to weed the garden. You have to water the plants. You have to weed again and again and again you know you have to feed and weed and ca- take care of your plants if you want good crops. Opposition there too. Laziness. I like to plant. I'll be honest, I hate to weed. Weather. You got to work with the weather. Bugs, creatures. But again, if you want a good crop, you have to work either with, with the environment or against the obstacles. And so you have these three illustrations, soldiers, athletes, and farmers. How does it look for us? How does it look for us? In order for us to stand fast in the faith, it takes grace. We need the grace of God. But we also need grit. We need to strive. We need to strive. We need to serve him in whatever capacity we're called to. And so I guess the question that we might ask ourselves is what is our dedication level to our own faith, to our own strengthening and building up our faith, and what's our dedication level to the work of the kingdom? I hope we can answer that question that we are concerned with strengthening our own faith and so we are pursuing the means of grace. We are concerned with serving well in the kingdom and so we're pursuing those things. We always know that we can do better. But we know it's going to take effort, dedication, there'll be opposition, there's going to need to be sacrifice. We have to fight against our own disinterest sometimes, our own discouragement. But we need to keep up, keep striving, keep focused, looking for that end result. For the soldier pleasing the commander, Jesus. For the athlete receiving the crown of victory. For the farmer receiving the fruits of his labors. And then in Christ, surrendering those things to him. To his glory, the victories, the prizes, the fruits, all lifted up to Christ. There is a reward. And I'm not exactly sure how the rewards are doled out. But in keeping with Paul, what Paul says here, I want us to look at three verses rather quickly to see how he elaborates on these things in other places. The first one is right in our letter here, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. This is not the only place that uh, Paul uses, uses fight terminology. In other places, he uses military terminology. Here in verse 6, 2 Timothy 4:6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then the prize. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Whatever I gain, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I may by any means possible, I may obtain, attain the resurrection from the dead, the prize before him. And then finally, Galatians 6, the harvest beginning in verse 7. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 7. What are you investing in? What are you sowing? There's a principle in Scripture, you will reap what you sow. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is verse 7 now. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so we strive. We strive for the glory of God. We know that we're doing good to our own souls. We know that there is a reward. We know that it will do good to others. And the faithfulness of God's people will advance the kingdom through the gospel. Paul mentions what the true gospel here is. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We know that's to save sinners. And that's what Timothy has to guard, and that's what he has to preserve, and that's what we have to do too. And the gospel has to be understood and grasped and believed and taught in order for for it to be unleashed. And that's what Paul's referring to here when he says the gospel can't be bound. might not seem like Paul accomplished much. After all his labors, all his endeavors... He's not the pastor of a megachurch. He's not a celebrity. He's not gained riches of wealth in this earth. He's landed himself in an underground prison cell. That's where he is. He's bound. He did look forward to his reward. But those things were never his goal. His goal was satisfaction in serving his Lord. Satisfaction, serving his Lord, glorifying God, things that are good for his soul, things that benefited others, also all that the gospel would go out. Paul had many reasons to be discouraged, many reasons to give up. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So sin is at work in us, but life in you. Paul understood that his work was not in vain. And even while he's bound, literally in jail, in chains, the gospel's not bound. The gospel can't be bound. And sometimes it's the very suffering of his people, that causes the gospel to go out with even more power. And so that's where our passage ends today with Paul saying that this gospel can't be bound. But we think about our goals. Our goal to glorify God. To edify our own souls, to do good to others, to call in the lost. Here it is. If we're living the gospel, the gospel will go out. We may be bound by our limitations and our weaknesses, but the gospel will go out. Resistance will arise. But whatever resistance there is, the word of God can't be bound. It will go forth. But what we need to do our part is again and again, grace grace the strength of grace from christ and grit to take our christian lives seriously may god grant us the grace and give us the zeal and the grit to fulfill our calling in christ let's pray our father in heaven you have bestowed grace upon us And you've set a commander over us, our Lord Jesus Christ. And you've called us to run a race seeking always your glory. And you've called us to sow seeds of righteousness that we would reap a harvest of righteousness. You've taught us so much in your word. All always ultimately focusing on your glory and the work of your kingdom. We are so privileged to be a part of that. Lord, may we be diligent in pursuing the things you've called us to do, to be your good soldiers, to be your athletes, to be your farmers. Lord, help us to pursue all that you've called us to do. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.